We're up with our latest Key 3 star chef. Now, with Key 3, I take you into the kitchens of the best chefs I know. We essentially get a master class because I ask each chef to share their Key 3. That's the three recipes they think every cook should know. Well, this week we're with Chef Andrea Rusing. She created the Lantern Restaurant in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Andrea takes North Carolina ingredients and turns them into Asian-inspired dishes. Her food is sensational. Andrea won the James Beard Best Chef Southeast Medal in 2011. Gris.org calls her one of the 15 green chefs in the world, and the awards list goes on. Well, Andrea invited us to her house. Toddler toys populated the yard, and Andrea answered the door in a pair of jeans and a shirt, and she was wiping her wet hands on her apron. Hey, Andrea, I'm Lynn. Hey, Three so nice to meet you. Three is a magic you. number. Kitchen had space. It was airy, really simple, not a lot of bells and whistles. Long counters, a restaurant range, and a big window. You get three. There's a magic number. What 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 are the key three for you? The key three for me are turnip soup, overnight braised short rib, and tomato salad. These three things, if you can master these, all you need to have is some salt and some water and ingredients that are available anywhere, and you can have dinner very quickly, and it'll be a very direct, delicious, flavorful meal. Every triangle has three corners. Every triangle has three sides. No more, no less. So, Andrea, what are we going to do here? We are making a soup with turnips, black pepper, rice, and a little bit of cheese. This is really a soup that you can come home from work, have nothing, or think you have nothing in the kitchen, and just kind of uh, stone soup it. It becomes dinner instantly. (laughs) Turnips keep forever. It's an onion. It's a little bit of garlic, some rice. Um, You can use water instead of stock, and some rosemary, which you probably have growing outside in a pot or some in your fridge. And since you don't need stock... Anything that comes, what comes from the tap is going to be the base of the soup. Exactly. Great idea. So, all right, so now you've got a big onion, and you're doing this into a tiny dice. Into a tiny dice, and then we're going to sweat it down in a little bit of olive oil, salt. And I think it's really important to salt the onion right away. Why do you do that? It just really builds the flavor, and it's really nice to just kind of go really slow on the onion because that's going to really be a lot of the flavor in the soup. Yeah, it extracts that moisture and it seems to Mm -hmm. almost help it become sweeter. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got, what, about a four or five quart pot here Mm -hmm. on the stove and you're filming it with a bit of the olive oil, right? Yep, and then putting in the onion. Nice big amount of onion. A really big onion. Yeah. And then I'm going to cover it and just let it go. This will be the first thing you do when you walk in the door while we get the rest of the ingredients ready. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the turnips that we're using are the purple top turnips, the kind of big turnips. Right. I, I love the Japanese sweet little turnips too, but these have kind of a spicier, um, more turnipy flavor, I'd say. Now what's interesting is you're not peeling these turnips. No, I'm not. If they were a lot older and the skin was tough, I would, but I might not make the soup out of it because I find that when I peel turnips for this soup, A lot of the flavor and a lot of that spice and aroma is really in the the skin. So these are going to go in once the onion is sweated? These are going to go in actually after the the rice. So just just for an image here, Mm -hmm. you're cutting this into maybe, what, a half-inch dice? Half-inch dice. Right, yeah. Yeah. So 
when you when you lift up your spoon, you're going to get a nice bit of you're going to get a several chunk different of vegetables. But yeah. if you put the turnip in with the rice, the right. turnip's going to get mushy, and it won't be there anymore mm -hmm. by the time the rice cooks. Oh, I see. So you're going to really add this toward mm -hmm. the end because you want that crunch. And so this is uh, Carolina Gold rice. It's an aromatic gold rice. Um, it's an aromatic, it's not really a gold rice. It's called Carolina gold rice, but it's an aromatic long grain rice that's grown um, near Charleston by Anson Mills. Uh, any really good quality long grain white rice will do. And what I'm going to do is put it in a spice mill for a second. Which I might call a coffee grinder. Coffee grinder, yes. <laughs> in fact, I hope I cleaned the coffee out of this the last time I used it. And just give it a couple pulses. The pieces will be about a third of their original great length. idea. And then we're going to get this creaminess from the dust yeah. that we've made yeah. in there. Andrea, this is really interesting because so much of your food is influenced by Asia and Asian flavors. And this is a very typical Asian technique, grinding rice, isn't it? And actually, we do a dish at the restaurant that's a Vietnamese soup with fish sauce and shrimp and rice that's done like this, broken up in a, mm -hmm. in a mortar and pestle with pea greens. And so that's kind of what gave me the idea to do this, just trying to make something go faster, but also kind of get that creamy, rich, thick texture without dairy and in a healthy way and, and without overpowering the vegetables. So we're going to add the rice in and give it a stir and then just let the rice cook a little bit to give it a little bit more of a head start on the turnip. Right. And now I have a little white wine. And it's not going to taste whiny in the end, it's just to give it a little bit of acid. I don't even want to think about that measurement, it's just a several glugs, right? A glug. <laughs> about four glugs. And then... I'm going to let this go for a minute. Right. And then we're going to throw in a whole branch of rosemary and cover it up again. How did all the Asian influence get into your food? Well, I grew up in New Jersey, and report card dinners were always going to Chinatown. Um, and so I just always loved Chinese food growing up. Uh -huh. And when I moved here, I really missed that Chinatown experience. And I found also when I was opening a restaurant that I really wanted to fill a need in the community um, because I really wanted to make it sustainable and stay in business. <laughs> and so, you know, thinking about what to do, I felt like what people really responded to here when I cooked, I did catering and did special meals, was Asian food, and so I decided to do an Asian restaurant. So we're gonna put these little turnips in. Okay. This looks like, with the ground rice in a lot of chopped onions, it looks like there's a white confetti among the onions. <laughs> and now the chunks of the turnip with the purple and white skin on them. So how much water are you adding? I'm adding about a quart, but I always start with less than what I think I need, so I can end up adjusting the consistency at the end with more water. I mean, it's not like you're going to run out of water, so you just adjust it at the end, and you start with less than you think you need. Three is a magic number. Yes, it is. It's a magic number. So the soup is bubbling away, and you're going to finish this how? 
I'm gonna ladle the soup right from the pot into a bowl and I'm gonna finish it with a little bit of grated aged cheese. I'm gonna use some pecorino, you could use cheddar or parmesan, some fresh rosemary needles, just chopped up a little bit and a lot of black pepper. <laughs> so we got water, some rice you grind in a coffee mill, right? Some turnip, onion, and then the finish. Stone soup. You got it. It takes three wheels to make a vehicle called a tricycle. Every triangle has three corners, every triangle has three sides, no more, no less. Okay, Andrea, we've got the water-based soup. That's great, with no meat. Yeah. What are the other two of your key three? Well, one is short ribs braised overnight, very gently, with vegetables, and you end up in the morning with this amazing aroma in the house, and lunch is all ready, and this really, really delicious warming stew and, and this is done basically what? You put it in the oven with all kinds of goodies? Mm-hmm. You put it in the oven. So basically you just take short ribs and salt them really well, sear them off in a Dutch oven, and then you throw in a handful of porcini mushrooms, some garlic, maybe some leeks, a carrot, bay leaf, just stuff that you have around the house. Right, right. And, um, I always have a handful of porcini mushrooms around the house. Well, you <laughs> might have them in the cabinet, or you might just have some old mushrooms, some cremini mushrooms in, right, in, the, right. in the produce drawer. That would work really well. Um, but the other great thing is that it's also water, and so you're just covering the beef with water um, about three-quarters of the way up, and then you're seasoning the water really, really well, putting a tight lid on it and cooking it at about 220 degrees overnight, you know, or as long as you right. can sleep, six hours, seven hours, um, five hours probably works too. And when you wake up at six or seven in the morning, you have this amazing smell in the kitchen. You open the oven and you have lunch. This is, yeah, this is the kind of cooking. It's, a, it's like a pot de feu, but you can garnish it with different things. You could garnish it with mustard and pickles and sea salt. You could garnish it with horseradish. Um, if you wanted to take kind of an Asian turn, you could do some fresh wasabi and sea salt. Mm -hmm. You could have it with noodles. You could have it with potatoes. But it's it's great because it's a hearty braised dish that's very warming, but it's not as heavy as kind of like a short ribs with red wine or with cream or something like that. Right. It's, it's, right. it's virtuous, but it's also decadent. You know, a long time ago, I worked with a chef who always worked with water, and I was curious as to why he did it. And he said it gave such clarity to the food. You could, he said you could taste through to the true taste of the food. Mm, I think that's so true. It's interesting because yeah. I haven't run into anyone who works with water quite the way you do. Well, beef is so great. I mean, the flavor of beef is so great. And when you have really good beef that you really want to taste the flavor of, mm -hmm. there, you know, you don't really need to muddy it too much. And I think that that clear beef flavor, that kind of brothy, delicious, where, where the broth ends up being as important as the actual meat that you're eating. And it's really comforting and really warming. Yeah. And the other thing is that you're doing there, it just occurred to me, is the seasoning, the piquant seasonings are what you add to your own taste at the end. They're exactly. not overwhelming the meat. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, so it's a real individual experience and it can be, you know, just a real interactive experience at the table. Yeah, but it's also, it's also a good takeaway. Mm -hmm. don't, don't kill it in the pot. Right. Let it speak in the pot. Right. And then you can do whatever you want with it at the right. table and get it complicated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what's the other? What's the other, number three? The number three is a salad that I make a lot in the summer. Um, it's just basically salted tomatoes, cucumbers, onions, 
And then whatever I have around, maybe a little bit of really good feta or some mozzarella or other, some other kind of cheese, some chili peppers, some basil or mint, just whatever really is around. The key to the salad is the tomato. And so you have to really start with the tomato and the tomato maintenance. And at the restaurant, it's something that's on our prep list every day, all summer long and into the fall, is dealing with the tomatoes. Tomatoes cover the surface of every room temperature place in the whole restaurant all summer (laughs) long. Because of course, you never put a tomato in the refrigerator. And really, what we do every day is we go looking for the tomato that needs to be used right now. And that's the whole key to eating delicious tomatoes all summer long. There's nothing you have to do to them except rotate them, getting the ones that are just perfect, getting the ones that are too soft to put in a salad, marinating them and putting them in a cocktail or or pickling them or making them into a sauce. All right, but but I have to ask you this. Yeah. Tell me about the details of tomato maintenance. Tomato maintenance. Mean? Yeah. Well, so the first so the first job we train any new hire at the restaurant to do is tomato maintenance. And it basically means laying your hands on every single tomato in the restaurant every day and assessing it. This is gonna be maybe more tomorrow, this is gonna go in a sauce tonight, this is gonna we're gonna make tomato juice with this now, this is perfect for a salad. And it's kind of like putting them into categories. Maybe not even moving them, but touching them and knowing Uh this is the one that's got to go right now. So at home, I do another version, which is really easy, which is I have a counter that just has tomatoes on it. And I can have a salad every day if I want because I just keep more tomatoes than I ever think I'm going to eat. Because they really, even a tomato that's sold to you is perfectly ripe, can really usually sit on the counter for a week before and still improve before you need to use it. So, I mean, I think that's the key is is kind of like having options. So in tomato maintenance, where does the tomato have to be to make that salad? The tomato is almost at the end of its life. It's soft and heavy and very ripe and very juicy. It's almost a salad already. And so at that moment, when I have enough of those tomatoes, I'll take, you know, a couple that are different shapes and different colors, cut them in different ways that are interesting, each one maybe in big chunks or in slices or maybe leave cherry tomatoes whole, and lay them out on a big platter and salt them very generously with kosher salt. And then I take some other things, like maybe a little sweet red onion, slice it very thinly, salt that separately, maybe a cucumber, salt that separately, um, and let everything kind of just sit in the salt for maybe 10 minutes. And then I'll sprinkle the onion the slices all over the tomato. And then I'll also have some herbs, maybe mint, maybe basil, maybe fresh oregano, maybe cilantro, whatever it is. I usually just use one. And Mm. I'll just shred it up with my fingers, put that on, maybe then the cucumber. And if I have some like really delicious feta or or maybe no cheese, you know, it's just, it really just depends on what I have around. I'll do that. And then I'll just take a lot of olive oil and some really good black pepper. Sometimes if it's for just me, I'll take a serrano chili and slice it really thin and salt that and cover it with serrano chili because I really like spicy food. But I can eat it spicier than anyone else, so but I don't normally what, inflict that on others. Why are you using that, all that salt? Why? And you're salting everything separately. Why everything separately. That? I salt the onions separately to take the heat off of them. Right. And I don't really want to have a raw onion for lunch. So mm-hmm. that kind of softens the onion and it mellows it and it brings out the sweetness. The, the cucumber gets salted, so it throws the water so I get rid of that water, and so it concentrates it. And really, it doesn't all have to be salted separately. If I'm in a hurry, I just lay everything out in layers and just salt it. But the key is to salting it and then waiting 10 or 15 minutes to eat it. I also put the oil on it maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. 
It really works magic on the tomato. It's magical. It? And you end up with this like delicious dressing at the bottom of the plate that you need to have some bread for. Um, I've been known to eat it with a spoon when I'm by myself <laughs> with my chilies. <laughs> Love it. Key three. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. Three is a magic number. Yes, it is. It's a magic number. Somewhere in the ancient mystic trinity, you get three as a magic number. The past and the present and the future, faith and hope and charity, the heart and the brain and the body.